Welcome to Kishwaukee Bible Church. Palm Sunday was the day the king came home. The day he entered the holy city and was hailed by those gathered there as the conquering hero. But it's important to remember that hanging over Jesus' entrance into the holy city and over the crowd gathered for their holy feast, that hanging over the end of Jesus' life were the words he had spoken at the beginning. Not least the words he had first spoken in the Sermon on the Mount, where in a sort of king's speech, Jesus had laid out for the first time in the presence of that crowd what his upside-down kingdom was all about, what living right side up in this upside-down world looks like for those who would live as citizens of his kingdom rather than merely as citizens of this world. Which in the end, Jesus said, hinges on a choice. A choice that every member of that crowd would eventually have to make. And that each of us must make as well. It's that choice that we'll be considering today and that I hope will echo over our celebration of Holy Week. The choice that Jesus first spelled out in Matthew chapter 7 verses 13 to 27. And if you have a Bible, I'd invite you to turn there and to follow along with me as I read again from Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 to 27. This is God's word. Jesus says this, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house. And it fell, and great was the fall of it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask today that the light of your word would break into the darkness of our lives and draw us evermore to live under the grace of your Son, Jesus. 
We ask that you'd draw us to the narrow path that leads to life and guard us against those who would lead us astray onto the path that leads to destruction. And that you do it ultimately for our good and for the glory of your son Jesus, in whose name we pray and place our hope. Amen. We must ultimately live with the consequences of the choices we make. That's the lesson my mom learned recently, having for weeks failed to restock the pantry, only to be caught unawares by the onset of this present crisis and the empty shelves at her local supermarket. I won't tell you which shelves she was most disappointed to find empty, but either way, for a few weeks now, she's had to live with the consequences of the choices she made. I imagine many of us have been learning that same lesson, cooped up inside our homes, having to stare at the projects we've left unfinished or the problems we've left unaddressed, the appliances that were hanging on for dear life but now are giving out in the middle of all of this, or the plumbing issue that no longer is a minor matter but has turned into a major problem. Or maybe it has nothing to do with the house that we're cooped up in. Maybe it's with the people we're cooped up with. I know for us, we've been struck with a fresh reminder as a a family of all those parenting bits that we were going to work on or knew we needed to work on that, that now would be a great time to work on. Except that the kids are all swinging from the chandeliers and Kath and I are off crying in the closet. Why? Because we must all live with the consequences of the choices we make. Just as much as our governments are reaping the rewards or the repercussions today for decisions they made long ago, so too for us as individuals, we must all live with the consequences of the choices we make whether with regard to our choices about the relatively little things of life, or as Jesus says at the conclusion of his Sermon on the Mount, with regard to the great choice we must all make about life itself. The choice that not only has present implications, but that also echoes into eternity. The choice of whether we will choose life, under God and God's king, as citizens of his upside-down kingdom, or choose death, having lived only for ourselves. It's this choice that we're going to look at just briefly this morning as we see it painted by Jesus as a choice between two ways, two wills, and two types of wisdom. Two ways, two wills, and two types of wisdom. First, as a choice between two ways, which is Jesus' point beginning in verse 13, as he calls his followers what? To enter by the narrow gate. Why? For the gate is wide, he says, and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. But in contrast, the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Two ways. 
Which reminds me of our family trip last summer to Mammoth Cave National Park down in Kentucky. And the tour we took down into the main cave system in which you were constantly forced to make a choice between two ways. But rarely could make that choice based simply on how wide the way was or on how easy going it appeared to be. Because oftentimes the easiest ways were precisely the ones that would lead you to the dead ends. And I remember one particular choice we had to make to follow our guide through a crack called Fat Man's Misery, which lived up to its name, even if you weren't particularly overweight. And this guide had the unhappy job of trying to convince our little group to stoop down and suck in and cinch our way through this crevice, this crack that was tight for even our kids, and to shimmy along for a hundred feet or so. But what a view for those who, who got to the other side. As that little passageway eventually opened up into an entire upside down world, a couple hundred feet below the ground. And that's what Jesus is saying this great choice is all about, a choice between two ways. The one way that looks to begin with broad and easy and that many people choose to take, but in the end doesn't lead to anywhere except to the destruction of those who take it. And the other way that hardly looks like a way at all, that looks so confining from the get-go, so narrow to begin with, and so hard once you get going, that you wonder why anyone would even bother except for the promise of what's on the other side. Isn't that what following Jesus often looks like? So confining, so narrow, from the get-go, and so hard once you get going, that you wonder why anyone would go that way at all, except for the promise of the life that one finds on the other side. And being narrow really isn't an issue. People get hung up on that. But the question isn't really whether the way is restrictive, but whether or not it's right. After all, marriage is narrow. Fidelity and faithfulness are narrow. But they're right. They're good and true and rewarding. Like the cure for this coronavirus we're looking for. No one's going to complain when we find that one antidote is as if we need multiple options to, to make it fair and, and, and non-restrictive. We're just going to be thrilled that we found the, the one, like the one way out of a cave that we're otherwise confined to, trapped in, and can't get out of on our own. It's a choice between two Ways that couldn't be more different in what they look like today, nor in where they promise to lead us tomorrow. So we're faced with a choice between two ways, which essentially, Jesus says, is second, a choice between two wills. And you find that in the passage that we looked at last week between verses 15 and 23 where Jesus compares these false prophets and workers of lawlessness, is what he calls them, 
who want to live only for themselves, compares them to those who rather, in verse 21, do the will of the Father who is in heaven. And these are the ones, Jesus says, who will enter the kingdom of heaven. What does it mean, though, to do the will of the Father? We asked that question last week and suggested that presumably it means that you're not writing the rules for yourself, but rather living under God's rules as God laid out in his word. It means that rather than being a false prophet, presuming to speak for God when so often God hasn't spoken, rather you live under the true prophets through whom God has spoken. And that rather than a a worker of lawlessness, you live under the law and, and the provisions of the law. And live under Jesus' definitive interpretation of law and prophets alike laid out in this very Sermon on the Mount. So that elevated above your own will is the will of the one you were made to live for. Living in God's world, God's way, according to God's word. Which means hearing is not enough, but must translate into doing. That word to do appears seven times in these verses, even though it's not always translated that way. Appearing even back in verse 17 when Jesus says that good trees bear good fruit. That word to bear is actually the word to do. Good trees do good fruit and bad trees do bad fruit. Because verse 18, good trees can't do bad fruit and bad trees can't do good fruit. But notice the difference is in the doing. Which is the point that Jesus hammers home in verse 24. When he speaks of the one who hears these words of his and does them. His words which interpret the Father's word. Again, because hearing by itself is not enough. After all, what father would ever be satisfied with just the hearing without the doing as well? And not just out of respect for for them as the father, but but likewise out of concern for the family. I remember just the other day when I was working outside and one of our youngest accidentally kicked a ball into the street and without thinking went to run after it. Wouldn't have done much good though if when I started yelling at her to stop, she just kept going saying, okay, dad, I heard you loud and clear, dad, straight into the car that was coming down the road. No, hearing alone is not enough because this is ultimately a choice between two wills. Ours which would take the broad and easy road right into oncoming traffic And the will of our Father that would protect us for now, that we might enjoy life with him forevermore. It's a question of who knows best and whether we'll acknowledge that the one who made this world knows better how to live within it or whether we'll just go on living like we want and in the process digging our own graves. It's a choice between two ways, two wills, and finally, between two types of wisdom. God's and another that isn't wisdom at all. Which is what this last illustration in verses 24 to 27 is all about. That Jesus uses to bring the Sermon on the Mount to a close. 
This illustration that begins with this picture of a wise man who builds his house upon the rock. And the rains came down and the floods came up, but the house on the rock stood firm. In contrast with the foolish man who wasn't wise at all and instead built his house on the sand for whom the same rains came down and floods came up, but whose house on the sand went splat. Which fell, Jesus says in verse 27, which fell and great was the fall of it. But why would anybody build their house upon the sand? Especially where Jesus lived, where rains came in torrents and flooding was a seasonal expectation. Why would you do that? Because it was easy and quick and cost-efficient. Because building in a, a dried-up wadi was like building in a floodplain where real estate was cheap. And you could work a foundation like that any which way you wanted. Level it out, make it nice and smooth, dig out a basement if you fancied. Problem, of course, is that building like that, buildings like that, they don't last. And even what little is put into them is ultimately lost. In comparison, building on a rock is hard, obviously. If for nothing else, then, then that you can't just manipulate a rock however you like. Because unlike sand, if you build on a rock, the rock sets the agenda. Like the cornerstones of the ancient world dictating the size and shape of the buildings that sat on top of them. And yet, if you build on a rock, the house will stand. Both for today and for many long years afterwards. One of Catherine and my favorite castles to visit when we were living in Scotland was one called Denotter Castle. Just a short ride down the road from where we lived. And it was a beautiful castle to look at on a sunny day. Situated as it was on a, on a natural outcropping, which stuck up a few hundred feet from the North Sea. The famed castle where the crown jewels of Scotland were hidden from Oliver Cromwell's invading army in the 17th century. A beautiful castle to look at on a beautiful day. But almost more beautiful to look at on a day when the sea was stirred with its waves beating against the rocks and its winds howling through the corridors, but unable to bring that castle down. That house that has stood atop those rocks for over a thousand years. And yet Jesus says, how much more will anyone stand today and into eternity when built upon the rock of my words? Did you catch that? Because that's the rock. That's the rock back in verse 24 when Jesus speaks of those who hear these words of his in this Sermon on the Mount, and do them. They're the ones who are like the wise man, building their lives upon the rock of his word. His word that interprets his Father's word, that from the very beginning has hinged on a choice. A choice presented to Adam and Eve, and Noah, 
to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and to all their kin after them. A choice put into words most famously by a man named Moses, who in his own Sermon on the Mount said to, to God's people, I set before you today two ways, two wills, two types of wisdom, life and death. Therefore, choose life. A choice finally reiterated by Jesus himself with one crucial difference. That the words of Jesus were not confined simply to the mount on which he posed that choice, but led him ultimately through Palm Sunday to the mount called Calvary, on which the making of that choice became possible. Because it was there that the Son of God paved the way through the narrowness of a death we all deserved to win for us that choice of life on the other side. We must all live with the consequences of the choices we make. Have you found yourselves these days regretting any of the choices you've made? Now that you're confined to your home or have to face those consequences on a daily basis? Know that there's hope because of the choice that Jesus made for us to die in our place and ultimately to conquer death on our behalf, that, that we've been invited to, to make one great choice that will then wipe the greatest consequence of all clean. As we choose today to follow his way and submit to his will and like the wise man to build our lives upon the truth of his word. It's that great choice that I hope hangs over Holy Week and over this whole situation we find ourselves in these days, both for us and as we extend that choice to others. Because as much as we need right now to be doing our part to stop the spread of this virus that threatens our lives and the lives of those around us, as we encourage others to do the same as well, how much more must we choose for ourselves and encourage those around us to choose for them to turn to the only one who can set this world right again for good? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray it would be so that we would choose to follow your way and submit to your will and build our lives upon the truth of your word as well as call others to do the same. Amen. Thank you for joining us. For more information about our church, please visit our church's website at kishbible.org. That's K-I-S-H-Bible.org.